Aloha, my dudes, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 126. I'm Jeremy, and as you might be able to tell, I'm finally back uh, for good, sadly, to the detriment of a lot of people uh, who miss the puns and all that. But I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Ed Wynn of UnnamedGameShop.com and Jim Casali of uh, Cool Stuff Inc. and GatheringMagic.com. How you guys doing this week? It's a new year, but like gathering magic is still not a thing anymore. But otherwise, I'm great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Ed, how are you doing? New year, new me. Whatever that means. Yeah. And uh, how was your first new GP for new Ed? Uh, I have no comment. No comment. It was very mediocre. Uh, if we want to make that topic, I'll talk about it, but I don't really want to. Uh, go too deep about what the the MF well, is like. Which which Grand Prix are you talking about? Oakland. Yeah, let's talk about Oakland. How like what this is this the first Magic Fest, right? Is that am I yep. correct? Okay, we have to talk about the first Magic Fest. Ed, what happened? Okay. Uh I'm glad we had a seamless transition there. So uh, so the biggest differences was it's now officially Magic Fest. Uh, uh, from an outside perspective, I didn't see too many fundamental differences. The biggest difference ma- was mainly for vendors and how our CFB contracts and how they changed the vendor layout. That was probably the biggest change uh, co- that people may have noticed. Other than that, I wouldn't say it was too terribly different. There was still the usual... There were always cosplayers walking around. There was the Adult Swim, uh, whatever it was that they had. I, I can't remember the name anymore. I've never seen a show. I'm not familiar with it. Um, Tigtone. Tigtone. That was on the playmats. They had a giant banner for that. Um, the playmats were given out for free. So that was a part of the event as well. But other than that, it really wasn't that different than what a Grand Prix was. But in terms of how the vendor layout was, instead of having the the traditional uh, booth along the wall that they've done in the past, uh, with islands either kind of spread out in the middle or wherever, they've kind of gone back towards the Star City Marketplace type plan. Jeremy, what are you wearing? Um, 100 Thieves, baby. I, I'm not going to ask. Um, <laughs> so they've gone it's, back to kind of the Star City Marketplace plan. I, I'm not giving Jeremy any more attention. I just saw him pop on and I was somewhat floored by what he was wearing. Anyways, the Star City Market plan type thing was all the vendors were in the middle of the room and they would have pipe and drape separating them. So it would look much more similar to convention style booths which are sold in 10 by 10 slots and you could buy anywhere from one slot up to four slots. So it would be, so every uh, cluster was laid out in a two by two. So if you bought two booths, then you would be back to back with another booth for the people that bought three booths and the equivalent of an old extended booth, they would have two, three booth slots back to back. And then if you bought four booths, you would have a two by two Island. They were all in the middle of the room. There was pipe and drape separating them. And uh, 
it basically uh, allowed for visibility from both sides. So there would be sometimes be a vendor behind you. Uh, of course, again, unless you're an island. And then in our case, I was with Tales of Adventure, and we had a one booth slot. So there was a one booth slot, a one booth slot adjacent to us, and then behind us there was a two booth slot. Um, that was kind. Of, that was more or less the biggest difference in terms of layout. I think a lot of people weren't really expecting that. Uh, it may have been a little bit uh, shocking for people who was uh, who was at their first event because they weren't aware that the booth behind you was a different vendor. Um, and for some people, uh, which was probably my biggest gripe about it, was that because of the way it was laid out, if you weren't facing a side that had a side event or a main event whatnot in front of you, you may not even be aware that there were more booths behind you. Um, and I think that made it very difficult for some vendors with just a lack of visibility. It was even worse than GP Vegas where like you had that one row of vendors all the way off to the side of the events. It was even worse than that because of the drapes. Yes. The drapes were about 10 feet tall. So it basically just made it so Booths were just not visible. Uh, you couldn't see people's like banners over the top of the um, the pipe and drape. So it, the hall was fairly segmented off, just the way it was divided. If you kind of look down, you would think that only one side of the hall was available unless you actually walked around to the back side. Interesting. Well, that's our uh, Grand Prix finance for the week, since uh, we only cast to the 1%. Other than that, though, Jim, what are you thinking of some of the recent commander spikes that have been going on? I mean, it's hard to tell what's actually going to be good. Um, obviously, what's actually going to be good doesn't matter. It's what people think is actually going to be good, which is actually something I try to stress on my articles. Is like Magic Finance is not necessarily about picking the best card and then buying it and then people feeling, figuring out it's the best card and then buying it. You have to think about what people think the best card is and buy that one, even if it's not actually the best card. Like, there are a lot of cards that are bad that people buy because they think they're good or because they enjoy playing with them, and that's not the same as the card actually being good. So, um, for example, like, a lot of people were buying Intruder Alarm when Vanifar got spoiled, and yeah, Intruder Alarm is good in a Vanifar deck, but, like, it doesn't win you the game like it doesn't it doesn't do anything but people think it does something so they all bought it now i'm not sure because i haven't played the deck yet whether or not it's actually good in that deck like it's reasonable to assume that it is but part of the issue with it is that uh when you're playing a blue green deck vanifar lends itself to being it's you know it's a comboing out and killing people I don't know that there is necessarily a chain of creatures that you can get that are only blue or and or green that will let you kill someone, which means that I don't even know if that card's worth having in your deck. Now, I'm not saying that it isn't. I'm not saying this is like for sure the worst card ever, but like there's no proof yet that that is necessarily a good thing in that deck. But people think it is, and that's the important part, and that's why it's spiked. Um, now, there will still be cards that are good in decks that people don't think that are good in decks, and then they play against them, and they're like, oh, man, I really need to get this from my deck. And that's the kind of thing that you can capitalize more easily, uh, especially with commander players where, like, we saw Atraxa get spoiled, and if you bought doubling seasons during spoiler season, you were pr you probably doubled up because 
as soon as they got their hands on the deck, they're like, man, you know what I really want? I'm with a thing that makes me have more counters on my stuff. And then they get doubling season and then they realize how dumb it is. And then, you know, then everyone needs them. And then they went from like $30 to $60 because one commander got printed. That's the kind of thing that can happen, but it doesn't happen usually during spoiler season because most of the time people don't like put two and two together and figure out that's really what they want to do. Um, except in like, cases like this where like, it was pretty obvious. Oh yeah. If I have, if I have intruder alarm, it just lets me keep activating this card over and over again. But whether or not it actually does anything is remains to be seen. Like, I mean, the combo, whether or not the combo actually does anything remains to be seen. So, if anything, it vindicates Rashad Miller because you can finally blink the pod after all these years. Oh my god! Like that's like <laughs> such an obscure reference that until you like said what he did, I was like not really even sure what you were talking about, but. I'm glad that you decided to get that dig in because that's even that's like a one percent dig. Like I don't even know that even one percent of our cast knows what you are talking about because I almost didn't. Yep, um, it's interesting though, and I feel like we can expand on this a bit. Uh, I don't know how it was for Edit Oakland though; it didn't sound like it was that great. Um, if you look at the recent um, Facebook groups, Twitter groups, all that high-end staples continue to trend down. I'm not talking about power. I'm talking about expensive foils, masterpieces, box toppers are going up, but that's just because it's the new thing, right? So you're seeing all these high-end things trend down, but at the same time, based off anecdotal evidence, um, commander cards are going back up because these commander players have Christmas money or whatever amount of money they have, we're finally over that holiday slump for commander players specifically. So you're starting to see sales pick up a lot anecdotally again for commander cards. Um, just like looking at some of the MTG finance discords and what's selling and all that. Uh, it appears that traffic for casual cards is picking up. Standard is low because we're all waiting on the new Ravnica set. Modern doesn't have anything new going on. It appears to be KCI versus Phoenix. And it looks like Commander, once again, is where all the money is. So for Ed, how do you feel about some of these high-end cards? And are you confident that they're going to start rebounding soon? Like, have you noticed dual land prices budging at all as far as when it comes to retail? Or have BIOS moved at all on some of the dual lands? Or is it more everyone's just trying to uh, stay on top of all the collections that are still coming in because people need money and you're not getting that as much as far as aggressive buying on high-end cards? I think the biggest thing about high-end cards right now is the way that it feels like standard and modern have kind of trended. I would argue that both of those formats more or less are as affordable as they've ever been. Yeah, it's a great uh, point. Right, like we, al we always have, there will always be cards that are expensive right now, but for people who are looking to get into modern, for example, like a perfect example would be if Cavern of Souls was your gate for building humans. The fact that there are more Cavern of Souls entering the market right now via UMA makes it so that it's very easy to acquire if that means trading in parts of your UMA box that didn't work out for you. You don't have any use for, you know, Micaeus, Kozlek, all these EDH staples that you may have gone out of your box it's very, very easy to turn that into what you're needing for modern right now. And that's probably more or less what's driving people away from spending a lot of money on one single card right now. 
I don't think that duels are necessarily trending downwards. It seems like some of these might be a little bit stagnant. Part of it might also be attributed to the fact that there's no real high-profile events for Legacy or whatever have have you. We know that April, Niagara Falls... April, right? We, we know that Niagara Falls will be... Um, will be the U.S. legacy event that's happening. Channel Fireball had announced their second quarter um, formats for the, uh, tied to the schedule now. Uh, we know what Starcy has been like. I don't believe there's a legacy. I think there's one legacy I want to say. It's like in Syracuse or something. Yes, and then there's a legacy classic yeah. in, um, I think, either Baltimore or Columbus because I was looking at the schedules. Right, so all these things just put together, I guess, have made it so that, that there isn't really a huge incentive for people to be buying these types of high-end expensive cards. Your old-school players will always be old-school. They're doing their own thing at their own time. Can I pick but, on that, though, while you're explaining that? Yep. Yes. If you look at the market, IE and CE have fallen about 25% across the board in the last month. You're seeing sets go from... Nine to ten thousand dollars. Even today, there were multiple vendors online listing them for seven thousand euros or eight thousand dollars. So, is it that too many people are holding the bag, or do they just think that they can get better returns elsewhere? I think I think it's more towards uh, getting better returns elsewhere. Okay. Um, I, I I think it's one of those things where if you know if you've kind of had a rough quarter four, this is a reasonable way to just sell a large chunk of something that you might not necessarily need all at once. Um, I think that's a really reasonable, especially if people, if it's something that people have been holding on to for a little while, um, it's not super common to buy. So in the case of CEI sets, it, you're, it's possible you have the only one on the market. It, it is a little bit strange to me that I did see multiple, <clears throat> excuse me, vendors try and list them up on high end. Cause I think as of probably about like a week or something, I've probably seen three, which is quite today at eight thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite a bit to enter the market all at once. But <clears throat> again, I think these high end cards. I think unless you have a need for them, most your average consumer for Magic is probably better off trading these few cards that they use that they may be looking at using on a somewhat limited basis to rounding out several decks at once. And if that means gearing up for modern and standard simultaneously that probably makes most the most financial sense for most people and speaking of rounding out their decks how do you guys feel both jim and ed about box toppers for jim specifically the edh box toppers and for ed snapcaster mage and all that fun stuff like are you guys confident snapcaster right now that mage, we've seen rebound? snapcaster mage is an edh card too um sure <laughs> like yeah you can like count emmerich a lot because it's banned in commander but I don't know, man. Like it's hard to say. We we were we keep thinking that they're not going to do another set of masterpiece cards. Like after Battle for Zendikar and and Oath of the Gatewatch, we're like, yeah, they're never going to do masterpieces again. These are safe forever. And then they did them for Kaladesh, and then after Kaladesh, we're like, oh, okay, we'll do them again. And then they did them one more time in Elmonket, and then they're like, we're never going to do these again. And then we said, okay, and then they they, they did them in this set, and now. I'm not sure that these are necessarily insulated forever, so I'm not sure how much I enjoy purchasing them as a speculation. Like, 
I think that they're good, and I think that they'll hold most of their value, even if they do get reprinted, because some of them have been masterpieces before, and that really hasn't affected the prices. Like, Ancient Tomb was, was a masterpiece twice, for example. It's one of the ones that's in this set, and it's one of the ones that was in the first set. So it's like as far it's it's the longest amount of time between the two masterpiece printings that you could possibly have it's still pretty expensive like i don't think that it's necessarily going to go down very much like there's still i see 130 dollars on ccg player for the box topper one and the other ancient tomb as soon as my page loads is 180 oh that's lp so like 200 dollars probably yeah so I think that's actually more expensive, or actually there's some for a 185, but whatever. I think that's actually more expensive than what I paid for it when it came out, which is uh, three years ago, four years ago. So I, I do think that there's a possibility that these cards tend to trend up over time as people appreciate them more maybe and they become rarer and harder to find but i think that there's also the possibility that they just reprint them not necessarily in the same frame but you know the third time they do ancient tomb how much you're gonna want to spend for the 200 dollars one from from battle for zendikar or uh, oath of the gatewatch i mean like i i think that there's a it, they'll be similar to judge foils where They'll command a premium, and they'll still command a premium after they get reprinted, but it'll be less over time. The more times it gets reprinted as a pre as a promo, for example, or a box top or a masterpiece version, they just won't be worth as much money. That being said, these are really sweet looking, so I own some, and I will continue to probably purchase more of them. But I don't think that's like that's because I'm planning to play with them, not because I'm planning to speculate on them. I don't I don't know that they're necessarily a very good spec. Ed. Um, I mentioned it on last week. I think that box hoppers are a very good place to be right now. Um, I am a firm believer in these limited printing type cards as indicated by past trends. Uh, my rationale for this is that while the box hoppers are relatively divisive, divisive in terms of how good they are, you have some very, very good ones that will sell well either because of alternate art so that i think that's where eternal witness herbor bitter blossom ancient dark, tomb dark depths has been huge for me but i obviously have a legacy player base right life from alone right these are all cards that have a bit of uniqueness that stands out there uh demonic tutor is another one there's a few that uh i'm, I'm sure i'm missing a few but those seem like clear winners to me because even though we have multiple iterations, right? Like Ancient Tomb is on its third foiling now. We originally had From the Vault. Uh, we had the masterpiece from Battle or Oath of the Gate Watch from the Zenkar Expedition. So now we're on Box Hoppers. I don't think there will be another iteration of some of these cards for a while. Ancient Tomb suffered because you could either buy the uh, you're either buying the Tempest one, or if you wanted a nice one, you're forced into buying uh, the Battle for Zenkar. Expedition. Now that there, in fact, that there is another cheap option, makes it unlikely that the the ancient tomb itself will come back in the future. I think. Um, that being said, I think there are a fair amount of box hoppers that are bus, which makes it a little bit difficult to analyze them, and that kind of throws a wrench in the calculation on the EV of a box, 
which has steadily been climbing as uh, as we don't see an immediate uh, resupply available. Who knows what it looks like in the future? Um, but I think for now, we see that the cost of the cards in UMA have just slowly stayed. Either they have bottomed out or they're starting to bottom out. And some of them are actually starting to slightly trend upwards as supply dries up. And I think box toppers in limited availability as they are um, will also start to trend upwards as supplies start to dry up. Mainly because it's not really feasible for stores to just open more product. Whereas with Kaladesh, with the Kaladesh block, Amicat block, etc. You are already wanting to be opening up product to stock singles. And the fact that you randomly got this, you're guaranteed 1.5 to 2 masterpieces per case was more of a bonus. Whereas we know box hoppers are guaranteed in uh, each box, but it's not really feasible to just start opening product for singles, especially because you have so many players who are wanting to buy sealed product as is. And there are plenty of stores out there that are still trying to fire UMA drafts because of how popular this set was. Okay, so then we move into our uh, question of the week, credit winner. Um, you're confident that box toppers will increase in price, but uh, David Moe wanted to know, do you believe that box toppers will trend towards past masterpieces in an aggressive way? And then he said, which ones are the correct ones to target, which we just talked about. But do you think that we're going to see maybe a finance podcast plug them a little harder than what you're doing right now, Ed, and say, you know, you can't lose money doing these, buy these from Europe, ship them over, it's free money, yada, yada. Um, do you think they're going to get this triple up, double up effect again? Or do you think it's going to be a much more healthy growth because people have caught on to the rarity of this and like they know how to price them better? Or there aren't maybe as many people following content creators or people that already have a bunch like you used to with Masterpieces, for example, just chasing that dragon. Uh, I will still be chasing these. I am a firm believer in these for the immediate future. Um, yes, we know that. But is it as I, confident as masterpieces when it comes to how fast they rose? I I think so, mainly because this is a limited product run versus people being able to open uh, regular, you know, Kaladesh block or whatever indefinitely. So, and a big part of it as well um, that I should mention was that these past few events. Uh, primarily Vancouver, and I can only assume the case for Prague, this was also in Liverpool and Portland, was that Channel Fireball offered these box toppers on the prize wall. Um, uh, for 300 tickets, which is the same cost as a box of Guilds of Ravnica, uh, you could get one of these box toppers. They were frequently the first one to run out uh, because you have so many people that are trying to cash out, they basically in the past would have just bought a booster box and merely tried to sell it to a vendor. You now have people trying to spin the wheel with this and they're getting a box hopper, opening it, hoping to hit Karn, Liliana, Snapcaster Mage, etc., and just so, uh, selling it to a vendor right away, which is obviously higher EV than trying to crack a box or, um, or just selling the box outright. Um, once this option dries up, because I looked at the calendar for some future events, there really aren't that many UMA drafts happening going forward. And you, can, I can only assume that because there's no UMA drafts, Channel Fireball doesn't have UMA products to be opening up and then keeping the prize topper for the prize wall. And I imagine that was a huge 
injection of the supply of box hoppers in the market right now. Okay. By the way, Shohei, you're killing our ears in the background. Um, uh, yeah, he yeah. is. He is. He is opening up his mail. So there. That is what you're hearing in the background. He you're welcome, listeners. We solved the problem. Uh, Jim, how do you feel about box toppers versus masterpiece and price trends? Uh, I think that the, uh, everything that Ed said is correct. Um, generally speaking, at this point, the box toppers are less expensive than most other masterpieces because they're people feel like they're more available. Like so, a lot of the a lot of the price of things these days is what based on what people think and not what's actually the truth. And I think that people think that these are more available than they are. Uh, I I believe that people think that there are more box toppers than they exist actually. And I believe that they're not as inclined to purchase them outright, even though these prices seem to be quite good. So my gut feeling is that in the future, these will trend up more over time, more over the same amount of time or, or in the same exact like time as the masterpieces. So like if you were to spend $200 on older masterpieces and $200 on uh these box toppers, I think you would probably make out better buying box toppers at this point because I think they're at their lowest point and not their highest point. That's a good point. I just want to caution one thing because I'm seeing this and I know Ed has probably experienced this as well when traveling and we're getting a, a we record today, today's Tuesday. We're recording Tuesday instead of Monday. There's going to be a uh, state of the union sort of thing going on in about 20 minutes. And I'm interested to see how that affects the economy because 800,000 people that presumably some of them play magic, it's going to get harder and harder for them to justify owning magic cards. And if our, if the tax returns don't come on time, we know how everyone feels about that when it comes to investing in high-end cards. So I just want to keep reiterating this every week because it's just something to keep in mind. Um, I, I just feel it's important. Uh, we had TSA people come in tonight from our local small double horse trailer <laughs> airport as that is maybe heard about and uh, sell some stuff because they aren't getting paid. So, so it's interesting. So I never, I never, ever, ever thought I would say this in my life, but I legitimately feel bad for, for the TSA, TSA for the yeah. TSA. I never, ever thought I would say this in my life. Cause I've had some real, real dull ones, but I legitimately do feel bad for them because they're going on what? Like, is their third week of? Yeah, it's been since December twenty second, and they're going to miss their yeah, first paycheck this Friday on the on the eleventh. Yeah, I. Uh... So. I mean, and and the worst part about it is like these are not like particularly wealthy people. These are people that are probably making close to minimum wage, doing a job that you hate just as much as they do. Like, I'm I'm very I'm like. I'm afraid what's going to happen after this week as far as like air travel is concerned. Like, I don't know how people yeah. are going to get places. I don't know if the TSA agents are even going to show up anymore if they continue to not get paid. There was a three hour wait at LaGuardia uh, last week. You can't even get, get you can't even get into the you can't even get into the area that early, right? Like, aren't you allowed not allowed to get into the line? You for are TSA? allowed to get in for certain flights, and it also depends on your status. A lot of times, you know, as that and I have, they're like shirts, whatever. Well, I mean, I, like one time I tried to... The right shirt, is that what you said? What? The right shirts, is that what you said? Sure, whatever. Sure, yeah, you said whatever. sure, whatever. Oh, okay. So, sorry, sorry, Jim, continue. No, I was just saying, I, I have had a, a time where, like, I got to an airport really early 
and I tried to go through TSA to like go get dinner at like one of the restaurants by the gates, and they told me that I couldn't go through until like two hours before your flight or something. So if it's a three-hour wait for TSA, you're just never going to get through. Yeah, they're all calling in sick, and I'm not looking forward to flying to the next couple of Grand Prix with uh, how bad it's going to be. So we'll see. Yeah, it, it could be rough, it, especially if you travel for a Grand Prix. If you're going to play in a Grand Prix, please get to the airport even yeah. earlier than you thought you needed to because you may not make your flight, and there might not be that many flights that you can make if you do miss it. And you might get stuck in Dallas for a couple of days and you'll miss half your Disney World trip with the family. So You didn't go to Disney World? Corbin did. Oh, I thought I thought you were talking about yourself. And I was like, you no. definitely didn't go to Disney World because no. you were not coming to Florida. No, Corbin was in Disney World. I, I did see that. Yeah. I hope he had a good time. Yep. Once he got here. I hope he had a magical time. Wow. That's what they say here. I thought I was the one supposed to be doing the puns. That's not but, a pun. Uh, okay. They really wish you had to have a magical day, magical day, a magical time. Uh, That's not a pun. It's just a, it's like just a nice thing to say to people. Hmm. But anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in about twenty minutes with whether or not pol- politically wise the federal workers are going to get paid or not because that does. Um, Represent I mean, a large amount of people that play magic, especially in the armed forces and all that stuff. So, I think that they have money. I think mm-hmm. that the soldiers are getting paid. I think they're paid for the next six, six months or something like that. Okay. Um, Maybe. But I have to actually ask people. But it's not yeah. a good look for the economy. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, for sure. The government being shut down is the stone worst. People can get evicted from their homes because they don't they lose their housing assistance. They cannot eat because they lose their food stamps. It's a lot of things that are bad. You can eat bulk rares, S. Douglas. Doug should make a cookbook on bulk rares. <laughs> how to how to saute your bulk rares. Yeah. Um all right. What else do we want to talk about this week? Uh, allegiance. Lots yeah, that sounds like a great plan. The set sucks. Next. The set looks fantastic, especially for the casual type stuff that I know you do well with. Like this set looks bonkers for that kinds of th- those kinds of things. Is there, do you want to like do your highlight? Oh, there's new cards I didn't even see. Um, do you want to do like highlights of like what you think is good and what you think is bad? Do you want to like? Do you have like certain things that you're really excited about? Because I have some cards I'm excited about. None of the cards excite me. You're just like you cannot be happy ever. I I mean I can. There's just nothing I see that I'm like I want to go in on. Um, I think there is a couple QS insiders that were um, looking at stuff to spec on, and they chose Mox Amber, the M19 Tezzeret, and Psy. And that's like something to keep your eye on because they're all unique effects that could easily go up. You don't like Guardian's plan? I don't know what that does. That's the that's the enchantment that's like stupid for or I guess it might not be actually be called Guardian's plan because it's like it's not in English. Let me see if I can find the English version. Uh, but anyway, it's the it's the the three G enchantment that um Whenever a non-toker creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it has an, a different name than everything in play and in your graveyard, you draw a card. 
It's like the ultimate like commander card because it just says all your creature cards enter the battlefield and draw a card because you can't play more than one of them anyway. Like seems that card good. seems really good. Yep. I mean that card seems like people will think it's really good. I guess I should rephrase all the things that I say. Add anything you like. Uh, as a whole, I think the mechanics are pretty good. I think it'll. Uh, there's a lot going on that will, that I'm hoping at least will change the uh the shape of standard. Standard has already been very good, but I think the fact that they're adding just the dynamic of the Ravnica blocks, where they do big block, big block with two uh entirely different sets of guilds, just makes it very attractive. Um, I I think Riot is very good. I think the de- the decision. Yeah, I love the album. Uh, right. Uh, the fact that you have that choice makes it so that your card, the card will never be bad. You're getting basically a win-win out of it either way. You have these like very aggressively costed creatures that generally tend to do well. Um, we might see an overly aggressive standard depending on how it goes, um, depending on if people are able to find a good shelf for, for, Control, Azorius Control, Esper Control, what have you. Which there are definitely tools for um, as well. Uh, as a whole, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of the set. Uh, I think you are right, Jeremy, where I don't see anything that is really exciting to me. Nothing has really popped out as a sleeper to me yet. So I'm, I'm still kind of looking over the set and seeing if there's anything that isn't already obvious that's good. And I'm not really seeing it yet. But there's still a little bit more of the set to be spoiled. I think both of the, most of the mythics are already out, or we have almost all the mythics. Um, yeah, I imagine we certainly have like all the planeswalkers. Yeah, there's um, three planeswalkers. We have all of them. There okay. is one rare legendary creature, and then one mythic legendary creature or planeswalker in each of the guilds. And I believe we have all of those also. I think we have all ten of those. Okay. So as far as like commander generating decks cards those are those have all been spoiled okay can i put a hot take in here about this set uh sure so the set's better than journey to nix but it feels like journey to nix where like two cards will spike in price from the set and then no one else will care you'll have like one courser of crew fix and one um idol under the great revel and then like nothing else like two rares will spike from this set but until like Dovin Bond is actually good, like a year from now, nothing's gonna change. Now, well, okay. casual wise, isn't Journey into Nyx the set that has like a bunch of sweet casual cards now? What? Isn't Journey into Nyx a set that has like a bunch of sweet casual? I cards I was now? about to get into that. I just said casual wise. So casual wise, the set's gonna be a hit for vendors and players alike. But it just feels competitively wise that there's only gonna be maybe one or two breakout cards versus. Something like Guilds of Ravnica, where you get a ton of breakout cards. It just, to me, doesn't feel like it's as crazy. I think part of it might be you might be a little jaded because there's five shock lands and you're not really counting them because they're not new cards. But like, sure. let's be let's be realistic. Those are like those are you know always going to be five to eight dollar rares. Yep. So there's definitely not like stuff that's going to be particularly bad. I do think there's a couple of cards that people are maybe sleeping on because they don't quite understand. Like, it doesn't read very good. Or well, it doesn't read like a card that's like particularly powerful. Like, uh, I think Ethereal Absolution, which is the Orzov uh, four black white enchantment, is 
very dumb, and I think there might be a control deck that plays that as its only win condition, and it's going to be miserable to play against, and people are not going to own any of them. Bring back Nefalia Drownyard. No, so like this is the kind of card. So, have you ever played Curse of Death Hold against somebody? Yes. You know how infuriating it is to be on the receiving end of it? No. Well, the enchantment does the same thing as Curse of Death Hold, except it does everybody. So it does all of your opponents, which makes it like pretty good in Commander. But it's also not legendary, so you could just play four of them, and then all your, your opponents guys get neg four, neg four, and all your guys get plus four, plus four. Doesn't take very long to close out the game because it also makes spirit tokens for some reason. It's like control cards need to be very, very good at what they do, or they have to be very, very flexible in what they do. And because this is also a card that keeps you alive and also kills your opponent, it's like the best of both worlds. You know, it's like it's like Bane Slayer Angel, where it's like very good on defense and also very good on offense. Ed, do you have anything else to add about this set or Jim's uh, thoughts? I, I think we've have, we've seen a fair amount of spikes already associated with it. Uh, Angrath already spiked. That was uh, overdue. I think that like it, it's very obvious that it works well with the spectacle mechanic. It's it has been we have seen it played before in the past with uh, like Mardu vehicles, and it's just kind of a good anti control card overall. It, the fact that it works well with the Rakdos mechanic, I think, was a, definitely a big contributing factor to its spike. Uh, Alenda. Also saw a huge spike. A big part of that was it was already a very, very popular commander card. It kind of has all the the working pieces and the fact that it's legendary. It makes creatures when it dies and it has lifelink, I think, or something to do with life on it. I think it has lifelink. Um, the fact that now, in theory, it could be playable in conjunction with the afterlife mechanic um, and the fact that there is an aristocrat type card uh, in the set under Pitiless Pontiff. Shout out to Wizards. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Wizards for designing a card for us. Um, how sweet would it have been if we had gotten that as a spoiler? Um, that would never happen. They don't even give BSB spoilers anymore. They got one. Yeah, they got Ever. one. That was it. Um. But we've already seen these types of cards uh, go up as a result. Nexus of Fate was another winner. I imagine we'll see a few more of these before the set officially drops. There's a bit of a brief period where people are brainstorming with decks. Cards will just spike as a result. Whether or not they actually do well, we, people don't know. People are just trying to stay ahead of the curve. And then once we have standard events happen, which are actually no standard events because I imagine... A big part of Wizards' plan is to not draw attention to the standard format before the Pro Tour, and not letting players just naturally solve it. So, I think that the Star City after the set comes out is a uh, standard yes. open. It, the is. week after, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are the, no, no, the weekend of is is it the weekend after it's, or the weekend? I think of it's the weekend season? of because that's how they normally do it. That is okay. how they normally do it, but I know that they change some stuff, so I'm not sure. But it's either it's either the weekend it releases or the weekend after is a star is a uh, Star City open that's uh, standard. Yep. Is the set released on the 26th or the 25th? Yes. Pre-release yeah. is the 19th. Yeah. So there's uh, SCG Indianapolis is the 26th and 27th of January, which is the weekend after the weekend that it releases, and it's a standard open. So that's we will see all the cards Jersey, that which week. I think is limited, Ed. You would probably know more than me. Yes, it is the limited, uh, like first event limited drop for the for the set. Okay. So, 
So, did you guys know that there's a uncommon in this set that's pre-ordering for two dollars on Path to Exile? Fatal Push, no. the Thoughtseize. Nope. What? There's no way that card's two dollars. Yeah. Oh well, I looked at three different retail sites, and it's two dollars. And on TCG Player, it's like a dollar sixty-eight. Which card? Wilderness Reclamation. Oh yes, the Nexus of Fate deck, right? It's yeah, it's the three G yeah. enchantment that untaps your lands at the beginning of your end step. Uh, if you have these at the pre-release, I probably get rid of them. I can't imagine that this is a two dollar uncommon. This doesn't feel like a card you can play four of in your deck and be very successful. And if it is, then it'll probably have a card that gets banned out of the deck. Like, I don't, I don't like. This is not like a removal spell that could go in a bunch of different decks. This is like, if this is a format-defining card, it, which it should be, then it'll probably get banned, or something in the deck will get banned because it'll be miserable to play against. So don't don't own them. Uh, if you if you get some at the pre-release and people want to trade you for them, uh, go do that. Don't have them. This is a card where you're going to find a foil of it in your LGS's bulk box, and you're going to throw it in a box and forget about it, and it'll be $5 in three years, but only the foil. I mean, I want to say that that's also the case, but like this is just worse than uh, like a Seedborn Muse thing, because it doesn't untap your lands every turn, it's just on your own turn. So it's only good against one opponent. Right. I know. I just okay. feel like it's going to be a stupid foil price in three years. You know, you're probably right. It doesn't matter that it doesn't do anything good. <laughs> uh, Alright, you guys ready to get a pick of the week? Sure. All right, I'm always yeah. ready. What you got for us? Uh, I think the one mechanic that synergizes the most with past sets that could potentially spike is probably Orzov. The fact that there is the afterlife mechanic, uh, in case our viewers have not uh, familiarized themselves with the cards, afterlife is you have afterlife X, and X is whenever this creature dies, it produces X number of 1-1 black-white flying spirit tokens. Most of the cards we've seen have been Afterlife 1. I believe there's an Afterlife 2 card. Um, we don't, yeah, we don't mythic, know. The Mythic yeah. Angel is, is 2. The, yeah, the Seraph of whatever. Uh, there's also the 3 shot. There's a bunch of them that have two Afterlife 2. Okay. Um, so I think this type of effect could possibly make the Mortal Sun good. We have seen the Mortal Sun being kind of fringe before it's gone fairly expensive it's been a good uh <clears throat> casual card i know it's been mentioned on the past before it's been picked on the past before i think <clears throat> the plus one plus one ability to all creatures alone could push this uh this over the top um so i think radiant destiny is also in that same boat uh radiant destiny is basically in bulk rares uh status right now i think if anything, these cards might come together. We have seen these cards do well with the uh, white-black vampire type deck. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if these could come together to make some uh, to to make like a spirit, uh, like an Orzhov spirit token, black-white token type strategy viable. And this is kind of in the same trend as where Alenda is heading. It could be Alenda is the one that is a card that slots in that deck. Um, and conversely, because there is kind of the side theme of draining your opponent, either gaining life and uh, making your opponent lose life, or some cards just have life gain incidentally tacked on them, 
the new wrath for example your uh white white black black um let me see if i pulled up i don't want to get the card wrong it's destroy all creatures and then you gain life equals number of creatures destroyed i believe no it's uh kaya's wrath is white white black black destroy all creatures you gain like life equal to the number of creatures you control that were destroyed you You control that were destroyed okay yeah it's not quite the same as um the one from was it Amonkhet or Kaladesh? Fumigate. Yeah, Fumigate. It's not right. quite as good as Fumigate in that regard, but it costs one less mana, which is pretty big. Yeah, so you have lots of these cards that have incidental life gain, and would surprise me if a card like Resplendent Arc, uh, Resplendent Angel from M- M19 became good with again with incidental life gain, getting five or more life. Uh, in one turn, definitely not difficult. You have the white, white, black, black, uncommon. Uh, when it comes to playing your opponent, discards and you gain three life. It's these little synergies that work together um, that I think that could be good. Respondent is a mythic. It has spiked because of the Boros Angel Angels deck that came out when Ravnica, uh, Guilds Ravnica first dropped in standard. But I think the fact that Immortal Sun, Respondent uh, Angel are both mythics and Radiant uh, Destiny is a rare... I think like these potentially could see very very large gains. Um, if uh, it's all speculation, obviously, but if these if they come together in some sort of deck, I think this is the type of card that would see largest gains probably in the next week or two. Jim, my pick this week uh, is Growth Chamber Guardian. Uh, it's a card from ravnica allegiance that i'm pretty excited about it's does it it's it's not pretty it's not flashy it's not exciting but it's it's just good uh it's the two mana two two that has adapt that if you put a counter on it you can go search your library for another copy of it uh it's just an efficient two mana creature it's not a creature that will look very imposing on the board but you always are going to play four of these in your deck and it's there's not a lot of good green two drops right now like you kind of have uh Burfo branch walker and that's kind of it so i'm i'm pretty big on this card i think that it's going to be similar to um sylvan advocate or Duskwatch recruiter where it's a reasonable early drop that also is pretty good late in the game when you have a bunch of extra mana to sink into it uh, right now, they are pre-ordering for $3 on CoolStuffInc.com. But on TCG Player, they are $4.20. So uh, if you want to save yourself a dollar and support our sponsor, you can order your playset right now on CoolStuffInc for 12 bucks. And, and leave questions because we're back and we want yes. questions. And we want to so, give you free credit. Yeah, we've been a little bit bad about po- getting the the cast. It was Jim. Out. It wasn't me. I was on vacation. Yeah, it was your fault because you were on vacation. This is your job, <laughs> not my job. Boy. Anyway, uh, um, yeah. I think growth similar or was growth chamber guardian is the name of the card. Yes. Uh, the elf, elf crab mutant or whatever. Uh, I think the guy's really good. I think that he's going to see a lot of standard play. It might not be right away. It probably won't be in a Simic deck, but you will see them, and you will see them often. You might not see them every weekend, and you probably will see them the the first weekend. So if you play Standard and you want to play a green deck that has creatures that attack a block ever, you're probably going to want to order these. They're just they're, they're going to be more expensive than they are now. 
I have two picks of the week and a card that you should know what it's worth. I don't know if that's a segment, but there's a card that I bought today that I was like, what the heck? We should know what this card's worth. I'll give you a hint. It's from Eternal Masters and it's a mythic. Which one of the 20 of them are you talking about? It should be easy. I think it's worth. Yeah. I mean, what do you mean I should know what it's worth? That, that That's not Compared really... Compared to a... last year, this card went insane, and it's not Chrome Box. Mana Crypt? Yep. This card's like $140. It's like gone up 200 and something percent. That's the uh, status online for 65 Yeah. Buy list on this is now 90 on Star City, 100 to most other big retailers. It's just something to keep in mind if you've had this card for a while, and you think it's going to get hit again at some point in the future... You know, you'd lock in that gain. Uh, it was it, just something yeah. that surprised me. So I was just going to point out, is it wasn't that like the pre-reprint price of Mana Crypt, basically? Yes. It was 150 and like 160 for the book promo and 100 and something for the Spanish promo. So it's just like, whoa, this card went back up. Just keep that in mind. We had a Paul Feudo of MTG deals on last year and he had called Iconic, or not Iconic, uh, eternal yeah EMA's everything in EMA is spiking and his prediction gets more and more true every week um, I've got a real pick of the week and a fake pick of the week my fake pick of the week that I still put money into is Jace Cunning Castaway the new octopus illusion there may be something there with all the other illusions so I bought 152 copies at $2.44 each could you just like instead of doing that to incinerate your money, could you just mail me a check and I'll roll a die and I'll I'll either mail you half the check back or I'll mail none of the check back. It's I incinerate money by giving you expensive foils as wedding gifts, Jim. I don't know if that's incinerating money, considering I had planned to have you at the wedding and like <laughs> eat a meal, but then you decided that you were too busy not to do that to not do that. But anyway, I you do you. I, yeah, this is just a card. If it breaks, then I'm great. And if it doesn't, then I look at these and laugh at myself. <clears throat> right? Like, worst case scenario, you buy this list off for like one point. Yeah. A dollar, dollar fifty or something. Best case scenario, you get like five dollars. If, I guess, in theory, if it spikes, it's going to spike to ten dollars or something. Exactly. So. That was my reasoning. I can just bring them to a Grand Prix and it pays <laughs> for the Grand Prix by, by listing them. Because <clears throat> at that number, it, around ten, the buy list numbers are probably going to be comparable to what I would get after fees and shipping because they can use TCG Direct. Um, but worst case, you guys can laugh at me in a couple months when the spec doesn't pan out. I'm just telling our listeners how many I went in on so they know that I'm not pumping the card. It's just like, if this hits, I'm good. Uh, my real pick of the week is Chromatic Lantern. This is a card that sees tons of EDH play as well as standard play right now in Ali Trousy's Chromatic Black deck. Uh, this is a card that's going to continue to trend up over time. It's not being played that much in standard right now, but if a three-color deck emerges, it may be playing Chromatic Lantern. We're not going to see On the Door Thragfire again because we don't have Farseek. But uh, it was at a $3 price point for a long time, and we're going to continue to continue to see this card rise uh, higher and higher, either predicated off of the fact that more commander players over time want this card, or if it breaks out in standard, this is going to be a $6 card pretty easily. I don't think it goes much higher because there is a lot of supply out there, but it's one of those that's a no-brainer when it comes to what you should be looking at if you see it in a trade binder or for a, a like TCG low. This is just like a, a safe call 
that even if it gets hit in an event deck next year or the challenger deck or whatever they call it, you're still going to reasonably do well on this card. So that would, that's, that's my actual pick. put of the week. That's a good pick. Thank you. New year, new ed. Uh, Are we going to all Jim? just like agree with each other for the whole year? Because that'd be really boring. <laughs> we can have guests on. Can we get Jason? I'll call him right now. Uh, I think he might have things to do, like with his life, because he's yeah. a reasonable person, unlike you. Oh, all right. Where can people find us? Well, first, before before we can find us, uh, just to reiterate for everyone at home, we will be giving away twenty five dollars of CoolStuffInc.com store credit again. However, you have to leave a question on the CoolStuffInc.com page that will go up hopefully Wednesday tomorrow. Yeah, I'm trying to the tell ninth. Wednesday the 9th, uh, January 9th. And if you leave a question, you can be entered to win $25 of CoolStuffInc.com store credit, which we'll be giving away the following week. And leave uh, good questions. Yes, please leave good questions. The ones that we like the most, we will answer, and you will win. If you ask a question that Jeremy doesn't like, I can't stop them for not picking it. But anyway. I don't pick questions. So... Yeah, you, but you don't pick questions? Well, like, I post them in chat, and you're like, that's a bad question. I don't want to answer that Because they're bad questions. We don't need to answer for the 80th time, like, how to turn yeah, $100 into specs. That's like, that's, but that's what everyone asks, because that's just good, clean fun. Okay. Uh, so anyway, yes, please leave a question on the website or on the page that will go up on coolstuffing.com on Wednesday, January 9th. Take it away, Jeremy. And where can people find you, Jimbo? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on this lovely podcast uh, usually every week. Uh, and you can find my articles on coolstuffing.com. There's one actually up that went up today with uh, my thoughts of the on the set. Uh, so far as of last week. So I don't have any of the new cards that were spoiled thus far, but I have some old cards that I'm pretty high on. Edward. Uh, I'm at Edwin 13 on Twitter. Uh, <clears throat> I'm currently in Japan for two weeks in the event that someone is randomly in Japan. I'll be in Grand Prix, New J magic fest, New Jersey at the end of New the Jersey. month. I, are and you going to be able to like, by heart, say Magic Fest and Mythic Championship before or after July? Uh, probably very soon. Okay. Uh, I will basically be at every Magic Fest until... I think the first one I'm not attending is Sao Paulo in April. I will be at every Magic Fest until then. <clears throat> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In, in the event that anyone is not friends with me on Facebook, I'll be at 44 magic events. Or 44 events this year. I should not say magic events. But, Weird flex, uh, but okay. Yo, man, he just like really likes Pokemon, okay? <laughs> Why the hate? I didn't say that. I did not hate him. I'm just saying you really like Pokemon. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. Um, I'll be at GP New Jersey. I will probably not be on site, but I'll be there. Um, I'll be at GP Memphis cubing the entire time. Not going to be on site at all, but I'll be around. Like we made plans to cube in the hotel the entire time. Um, we had listeners ask if I was going to Tampa. I feel like Jim's going to go to that. So I feel like Ed and I are obligated to go as well. So we'll probably be at that one. I are you going to that one, Jim? What? I mean, it's like an hour and a half drive. So I'll probably 
I'll probably go on Friday and then drive back on Sunday. Yeah. No, oh, I don't know that I'll be at. I don't know if I'll be like at the convention center the whole time. Yeah. Right. If you have questions for Ed, tweet them at Edwin13. If you have commander stuff or good questions for Jim, tweet them at PRH PHROST underscore. That's my Missouri education coming in right there off Highway 44. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance, um, where we will occasionally tweet stuff. Thanks to everyone for listening. I'm glad we're back for 2019. See you guys as always. And as always, have a great day. Bye-bye.